This is the College Football Fix Podcast from USA Today Sports. All right, we're back on the College Football Fix Podcast. Dan Wolfen here, Paul Meyerberg. Starting to finally feel like fall just in time. Got a huge week of college football. How's the weather up in New York, by the way? It's really nice today. It's probably in the mid-60s today. I want it to be like 52. 52 is football weather. 45 to 55 is football weather. We're inching closer to that. Um, But my dream is to have a college football Saturday with a bunch of ranked games going on. And it's like in the 40s out. And it's kind of overcast. And I'm drinking a cup of coffee. I might have a blanket on my legs. That's kind of my happy place. So we're, we're maybe a week or two away from that. See, I think 62 is the perfect football temperature. You're from the South, then. 62, our, our, clear skies, crisp air. That, to me, is football weather. Hmm. That's really interesting. That is a geographic thing. Because 62 to you is my 40-something, being a Yankee from way up north. So to me, it's like 40-something. Okay. Yeah, I think that's the math. That's like Fahrenheit to Celsius. You like plus 32 divided by 5 multiplied by 9 or something like that. There's some mathematical formula to get there. But we're in the same general ballpark. We both agree like this weekend is a great college football weekend of games, as we'll talk about. Um, But we're also getting closer just to peak fall. Foliage, apples, pumpkins. um, You know, we're getting there. Do you know how to do Fahrenheit to Celsius or Celsius to Fahrenheit conversions? I do not. I I really don't. There's... You don't, considering that you've been around, you're basically Carmen San Diego, and you still don't know how to do that measurement. Do you know how to do KM? Like, could you do that if you're in the car and you're like, kilometers, okay, I gotta I'm go. Yeah, better with kilometers. Better with kilometers than I am Celsius. Okay, yeah. It's almost like uh, there is a mathematical formula for it, but it's just basic thing. I, if you get into the 30s on Celsius, or, or if you're in the 20s in Celsius, then you're you're, that's you're nice. Yeah, that's that's in a that's in the ballpark of beautiful weather. So that's pretty much all I know. Um, do you do you know how to do fathoms? Do you know what a fathom is? I don't even never heard of it. What's a fathom? Mm, I, wow. I fathom. I don't, I don't know. I fathom. <laughs> I fathomed this conversation when I was planning the show, uh, and it was not going. I fathom this conversation has gone off the. Yeah, this conversation has gone off the rails. But you started it. The basic point is, no matter where you are around the country, you're in California in the South. You're in San Francisco. You're in Texas. You're in North Dakota. Great weekend of college football coming up. Weather, weather, whatever the weather is, you're going to have a great weekend. Well, the temperature was uh, getting pretty hot for Matt Rule with the Carolina Panthers. How about that smooth transition? And now he's a coaching free agent who is probably going to be coming back to college football pretty soon. How much does that excite you as a Matt Rule? You, you were sort of a Matt Rule originalist. Matt Rule is one of the best coaches in college football. I wouldn't say he's one of the best coaches in the NFL, but um, not. you agree with me on this. Certainly not. But um, I was thinking about this yesterday, trying to think of a way to explain it with a metaphor of some kind for people to listen to the podcast. To me, coaching in college and coaching in the NFL is like being a geologist and being a physicist. You're a scientist either way, but there's a lot, it's a, just a lot of it different skill set package, how to manage people, you know, it's just different. So I put zero stock at all, 0.0 in Matt Rule flaming out in the NFL, being some sort of harbinger uh, for what he's going to do in college. And we can all do the, well, Nick Saban stunk with the Dolphins thing, whatever. There's a little bit of truth in it. Everybody's different. 
I'm so excited for Matt Rule to get back to college football because he is one of the best coaches in the sport on the college level. Uh, I think he can fit at any number of spots, and I'm just excited to see where he lands because whoever gets him, I think, is getting a truly elite, truly elite football coach. Yeah, you have to look at the track record. Killed it at Temple. Didn't take him that long. Couple years had that thing totally turned around. Crushed it at Baylor again. Didn't take him that long. Bad, you know, first year tough, and then you instantly started to see results after that. I, I put him at the very top of. Yeah, guys that I would want to run my program. I wrote about this at USA Today on Monday, which was that I don't understand why NFL teams are still looking at college coaches to try to hire, put them in charge of NFL teams. It doesn't work. I mean, yes, there's been some examples and some anomalies. Also, like, by the way, Jimmy Johnson was like 30 years ago. Like, I really don't think... (laughs) I don't think the same I don't think the same thing no. really applies like the sports kind of evolved a bit. Um yeah, Jimmy Johnson was good. Uh so so was Tom Coughlin, right? Tom Coughlin was a yeah. good uh, NFL coach after coming from college, but yeah, again, long long time ago. It's it's different now. You know, when you talk to college coaches, it's you know, numbers will vary, answers will vary, but they will all tell you that relatively little of their time is actually spent coaching. It's Mm -hmm. mostly spent doing all this other stuff. Right. And there's so much you've got to do now to run a college program. NIL huge. Like if you're not doing NIL correctly, you're done. You're not going to make it. You have social media stuff. You've got the radio show. You've got booster functions. You've got, Players with girlfriend problems. You've got parents who are calling you to wonder why, you know, why why you're uh, not playing their kid. You, you've got to go scout high school players. Like, there's just so much stuff. Academics, discipline. You know that that in the NFL, that stuff doesn't really matter. You've got people to take care of of most of those things, and it's it's a workplace. It's a job. People go in, they do their thing, they go home. Like You're not talking to somebody's parents if you're the head coach of an NFL team. So it's just totally different. Um, Matt Rule kind of got off on a bad foot in Carolina because he didn't have a quarterback, which in the NFL, if you don't have a quarterback, is, is a major, major problem. I'm not saying he did well. Like They lost a lot of close games. His offense seemed bad. He you know, got hit with the tag of being kind of stubborn. And yet... If I'm Nebraska, like I am dropping everything right now in my coaching search and saying, all right, Matt, what do you need? What do you want? We'll pay it. We got it. What do you need? What do you want? Now, from a salary perspective, Matt Rule, actually, my understanding is, is going to make kind of the same money either way because he's got an offset clause in this Carolina contract. So you know, if he was making $10 million or supposed to make $10 million next year, with uh, the Carolina Panthers, he will make $10 million regardless. Nebraska would just account for four of that $10 million or whatever it is. So that's that's kind of where he is. Maybe he doesn't want to coach or wants to sit out for a little while. I don't know if he thinks the Nebraska job is good. What do you think? Where, where do you think he's going to end up? Um, well, I know he thinks the Nebraska job is good. Oh. Um, I can tell you that. So there's no, worries. There's no worries about that. 
breaking news. I don't think that's breaking news at all. I really don't. I think anyone who knows Matt Rule will know that he thinks Nebraska and those of that ilk, including Wisconsin, those are good yeah, jobs. He's not poo-pooing any of those jobs. Um, uh, I true, I, I, and I don't, this is not based on any current information. I believe that he will come right back into coaching. Um, there is this conceit that guys get 40 million bucks in the coaching profession and then they just walk away and they go live on Bora Bora and drink, you know, coconut water. Um, it's not really how these coaches operate, and that's certainly not how Matt Rule operates. I, I do think that he will wait for the right opportunity, whether or not it's Nebraska or somewhere else. But he's not sitting out just because he got a big chunk of change. This guy wants to coach. This is what he does. So um, if they can make it happen, I do think that him and Nebraska is a marriage um, that is really, really, really good on paper. Just looks really good, and it makes a whole lot of sense. So I, I would hope that they were at the very least making deep, deep inquiries to make this happen because the timing, the finances, and the availability all works out, and they can't let this opportunity go by, as I wrote the other day. For the record, I would go to Bora Bora if I had $40 million. I would, too. I would, too. I don't know if I'd go to Bora Bora. I would... Um, it's a little out of the way. Hard to get to. Yeah, yeah. But it would be... I'd spend a couple weeks there. Sure. I'd be on one of those huts. You know those huts at the end of the walkway, and you're yep. walking down the thing, and yeah, they look nice. Oh boy, yeah, that would be really I think nice. That was the, isn't that, that the million Maldives bucks, though? Isn't that the Maldives that has those? I think you're going to find that that look in a lot of different places. Okay. That right. uh, hut at the end of the walkway thing yeah. with the infinity pool, but he's not going to be there. You know what's would be uh, what would be interesting is, or what will be interesting, Dan is. Um, when these jobs come open that we expect to come open, uh, how this, how those tiers will shake out or better yet throwing it out there. Um, if you're an AD and you are like only 52% sold on your coach, Matt rule hunting yeah. the market. If I'm that dude forces me to really evaluate my current position. Cause if I can get him, uh, that would help me sleep at night really, really well. I, I don't see him being an Auburn type of guy. You know, that's a job that's going to come open. It's not open yet. It's probably going to be maybe the most high-profile, quote-unquote, job that comes open. I, I don't see him as a good fit there. No, I don't see that from a philosophical, cultural perspective really working yeah, out that well. seems off. Um, but if I'm Auburn and he wants the job, then I hire What about Georgia Tech? Freeze. What about Georgia Tech? I was about to ask you, what do you think? I mean, you know that environment. We, we we've talked about it a bit here about the hurdles you've got to overcome. Rule knows how to get over hurdles. I mean, you mentioned it briefly, that situation at Temple. I remember being there his first two years into his third breakout year, just how awful it was there. We all know about the situation at Baylor. Could he be drawn to that Georgia Tech spot or the hurdles that we've discussed just too much? Like, does that make it not really an appealing job for, for someone who has his options? Well, the our argument I'd make in favor of it for him particularly is that this is a guy who has shown a great track record of evaluating talent and developing guys, which is what you need as a recipe for success at Georgia Tech. And if you can do that, especially given as many players as you have in the backyard surrounding areas – you could be a nine-win type of program at Georgia Tech if you have that. That would be my mm -hmm. argument for it. You know what I mean? And by the way, like as we move into this next era of college football, 
you know, being a nine or or ten win team in the ACC potentially gets you a, a college football playoff berth every now mm-hmm. and then. So you're you're in the mix. Yep. Uh, I, I don't think it's a terrible idea. I don't think it's a terrible fit. Um, I, I think what you just have to weigh if you're him is whether maximizing the job in that way at Georgia Tech is a better situation than, all right, what is maximizing the job at Nebraska? It's probably not quite national championship level. And no. so if But it not- is fitting what you discussed, like that idea that you can get to a place like Nebraska, Georgia Tech, which is clearly second tier in their conference, but you can still find a way in now. So right. that increases the, uh, the the appeal, as you discussed. I just, but Nebraska, I don't mean to interrupt you, Nebraska is higher on the totem pole in Georgia Tech. Same sort of hurdles, but I think it's an easier pathway. It's just, Conference, can you, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, can you reach the expectation level at Nebraska that they're going to want? You know, and I think that's where there might be some hesitation on the part of some candidates. I, I don't know what his mentality would be sure. with regard to that job. You know, in Wisconsin I'll, as well. I'll say one thing about him. Yeah. Yeah, Wisconsin for sure. One thing I'd want to add about Rule is uh, my, my feeling on it is uh, when he does return to college, he wants to take advantage of, uh, of of his connections in Texas. And I think it would make a whole lot of sense. If you go to Texas right now and you did a poll of 300 high school coaches to name their favorite coach, three years later, I promise you, Matt Rule is appearing on that list many, 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 many times. So he's got a he's got a very deep connection to that state that he built in a really small amount of time. It almost would be criminal is the wrong word, but whatever the substitute word is, not to take advantage of that at your next gig. Nebraska gives you a bit of an opportunity to tap into it. Um, just something to think about. It would, he'd be foolish to let those connections go to waste. Yeah, Nebraska, when they had it rolling, was huge in Texas. And that would be, to me, one of the keys to getting them back to where they belong. All right, enough on the coaching carousel. There were no other coaches fired this week, breaking a streak of four straight. So uh, Brian Harson still's got his job at Auburn. I guess we'll just continue to wait and see what happens there. We are the College Football Fix podcast, which means that every week we run down the AFCA coaches poll from USA Today Sports. And it's really interesting when you look at this top three right now, you've, you've got in the USA Today poll, Alabama one, Georgia two, Ohio State three. You know, I'm starting to wonder whether just based on the way the teams have played and the way they've looked, that maybe Ohio State should be number one. And yet they're really not that close in terms of first place votes to supplanting Alabama. We, we watched Alabama come down to the wire against A&M in a game we will get into momentarily. Georgia, you know, they they look somewhat mortal. Ohio State looks awesome, but they haven't really played anybody. So, I don't know. Where do you think it all stands right now? Yeah, I, I, I kind of faced this question over the weekend, and, and you're seeing in the AP poll, Ohio State move up, and the AP poll always has more fluctuation than coaches anyway. Um the issue, Dan, I think, is who they've played, right? And I just think we're not putting a lot of stock into who they've played. They haven't played anyone great, unless I'm airballing somebody. I'm not. We're not calling Notre Dame great. Um, so I think that's part of the problem. But the results speak for themselves, Dan. When I watch Ohio State, um, I think I'm seeing 
I might be seeing the best team in the country. And I think we need to have that conversation. Is Ohio State number one? Do they deserve to be number one? It's pretty easy to make that case based off what your eyes tell you when you watch this team. They look the part, for sure. They beat Michigan State 49-20. to Now, again, everybody's beating up on Michigan State right now, so the final score is not all that, you know, notable. They just have so much offensive skill, you know, and, and – What's crazy is, you know, they have not even gotten the production they might have expected from some of their best guys, you know, and it just wide receivers like, I mean, how many guys in the NFL or are, are, how many guys in their wide receiving core are going to play in the NFL like six? It's kind of ridiculous. It's wild. It's crazy. Um. This, is, this would be a good way to get into the Alabama conversation by asking a theoretical. Um, I know what my answer would be. If Ohio State played Texas A&M on Saturday, what would the result be? I think well, I Ohio State would beat Texas A&M by 21, 28 points. I was going to say I would expect three touchdown win. Yeah, and that's not a slight against Alabama, who obviously, as we'll talk about, dealing with a lot of stuff. But – the results that you're seeing speak for themselves, and I think if you sub out Michigan State for A&M or for even Arkansas or Mississippi State, you will see a team that is built to win it all. Not just built to get there. I think this Ohio State team, let's wait till after Saturday. We'll talk about the Penn State game to talk about the defense. Offensively, It's they're in a different class. No one else in the, in the country, uh, in the world, is in the same realm as Ohio State right now with C.J. Stroud. Yeah, now I think the point you made is is good about what would we expect from Ohio State if they played A and M. It's also a little bit unfair in the sense that when you're in a conference with somebody, the dynamics are just different. I mean, there are years where, just as an example, like Ohio State has been extremely good, and they'll go to Iowa, and you know it'll be a nail biter, or they'll lose. They've lost at Iowa before, mm-hmm. right? where you'd look at that and go, well, boy, Alabama would win that game by, you know, four touchdowns. It's, that's really kind of unfair, you know, to, to, to say that because the context is always different when you're playing on the road within your own conference and teams that, that see you every year, that scout you all the time. So I don't necessarily like to rely on that. Um, but what I do sort of think is relevant is, what you do year by year against certain opponents. And, you know, I didn't expect Alabama to struggle with Texas A&M. But at the same time, like if you actually go back and think about it, all the circumstances that went into that game, it kind of makes some sense. And I don't want to hold it against Alabama that they keep winning some of these games uh, they obviously were quite fortunate to beat Texas. They were quite fortunate to beat Texas A and M. They they tried to give the game away Saturday. I mean, let's <laughs> let's just call that like it is. They between you know between the turnovers and and you know Milrow was was a mess holding on to the ball. The last drive of the game for for Texas A and M that got them to the two yard line was like a couple ridiculous penalties that that Alabama committed that kept A&M's hopes alive. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if we look at Alabama's 6-0 record and say they could easily be 4-2. Like, 
barely hanging on in a couple of these games? Or do you look at it and say, all right, they're getting through and they have so much more runway to get better as you get into the second half of the season? I guess we'll start to find out the answer to that this weekend. Yeah. My thought is the latter, the latter part of it, and I, I know it's easy to say they should be four and two, but yeah, they're, that they're staying unbeaten through this, um, through these struggles, I think obviously is a testament to the group. Coming out of Saturday, I thought the story was less that Alabama barely won, but that A and M managed to lose that game when you when you first force four turnovers, uh, they missed two field goals, um, and you are in a position at the two yard line to win the game. To not win the game is another failure for A and M. Uh, that that was what I thought of it coming out. It was more about A&M failing to seal the deal again than it was about Alabama like kind of playing down to their competition. Um, just as a quick side note, did you watch like that, you know, local national first bank of Alabama, Nick Saban? Yes. Uh, chalk talk. That yes. was very, very cool about the final play. He said I like 15 times. I thought that was just someone. I, if you haven't seen it, go on I, Twitter and search that. I thought that was awesome. I, I, um, but again, that's like the predictability of it, uh, of A&M's offense. We've talked about it a million times. It's, it's just not good enough. And that was an opportunity to get a statement making win, to have that chance go by. That was my takeaway after the game. A&M failed. A&M had a chance and blew it. Well, Johnny Manziel certainly agrees with you. He did. I saw that me and Johnny Manziel on the, on the internet having the same thoughts. You don't agree, that's fine. To me, you get that chance on a silver platter, you don't deliver, that's going to define your season. They had circled this game a year ago or whatever it was. They talked about this game all spring, all summer, all through August. And you had a chance to make a win and get carried off the field and say, F you, look at my offense now. How do you like me now? How do you like them apples? And instead you lose 24-20. That's a failed opportunity. Well, I think Bryce Young is probably not going to repeat in terms of the Heisman, I think he's probably just going to end up missing some some games and maybe not putting up the numbers that are going to be impressive enough to do it again. But I do think that game shows he's the most valuable player in college football right now because without him, their offense is significantly lesser. And it's not just a system. He is making it happen when he's in the game, when he's not there, it is a Grand Canyon-sized hole in, in their arsenal. Yeah, I mean, you're talking 17, 21 points left on the field. And I'm, I'm like adding up, you know, drives stalled by turnovers as well as the, the missed field goals. So there's just a huge difference. Yeah, he's not going to win the Heisman, but if you need evidence of why he's the most impactful guy out there, then here you go. All right, so we kind of have that sorted out. Those three at the top. I think it's kind of interesting that uh, in the AP poll, Clemson has moved up to number four. Michigan, number five. It's reversed in our poll. I said this on Twitter Saturday. I think Michigan is having the most boring 6-0 and start to a season I can remember of any team because sort of the combination of – you know, lackluster scheduling by Michigan, plus the fact they've won these games pretty dominantly, but also not like exciting dominance. It's just kind of like grind you down, boring dominance. 
I actually mean it as a compliment, uh, but their life gets a lot more complicated this this coming week against Penn State. If if Michigan and Clemson played tomorrow on a neutral field, which team would you favor? Oh, that's such a good question. I think I would go Michigan, but I'm not Clemson. totally I... sold. Yeah, no, I'm with you. I would go Clemson because this of, of this thought, man. Like you said, I feel like we just know more about Clemson, so I'm like shying towards them because I, I feel like I can predict them. I have this feeling about Michigan, and it has no basis in fact, and it's just a small part of me that feels that that they're basically playing like dumb down football, not on purpose, but they're just not. There's like another. They, they're like Clark Kent, and they could unzip their shirt or unbutton their shirt and show off a different level of football. I do think Michigan has another gear. Um, I would just like to see it because we haven't seen it. They've just done game control through six weeks. I want to see them go off on Saturday and really show us something. But for now, I'd take Clemson by like a field goal or something like that. It's a, It'll be a great, great, great matchup. You want to see the six-pack six pack abs under that shirt and tie is what you're saying. I've... I've seen Harbaugh shirtless. Um, remember back in the satellite camp days, I remember him running around in his khaki shirtless with a super, super pale torso and upper body. Yeah. Um, so I don't need to envision that, but I do think Michigan's the guy who uh, goes to the gym in the baggy shirt, and you're like, "What's this dude about?" Then he goes to the to the squat rack and he's putting up five fifty or something like that. That's that's what I think Michigan is: sneaky strong, sneaky, sneaky strong. Well, like we said, their schedule really starts now as they will play Penn State this coming week. Clemson uh, went to Boston College. It was a game that uh, was close for a little while. It was 31-3 to final. It didn't really feel like that kind of score for the first, I don't know, two and a half quarters probably, but Clemson was able to really run away there at the end. Uh, USC is number six. They beat Washington State 30-14. to Not a lot of trouble there. Oklahoma State played a good one. They're number seven. Uh, I was thoroughly entertained by their game against Texas Tech. A little bit of a different type of game, maybe kind of a throwback type of game for Oklahoma State because we've been talking so much about their defense. This is one where they really needed to score Almost every time they had the ball, 41-31, they were able to win at home. Uh, They've got a a big one this weekend as well, which we're going to talk about. Just another in a a line of awesome, awesome games. Number eight, Tennessee. They're number six in the AP poll, eight in the coaches. They just walloped LSU 40-13. I thought it was a... Terrible job by LSU and Brian Kelly in terms of just sort of when to roll the dice and circumstantial football and down and distance and trying to just figure out what they needed to do to hang in the game. It also didn't help that like special teams killed them. Tennessee's first two possessions started inside the LSU 30 yard line. So like you add all that up and you see how it got to 4013 but it's still 40 to 13 in Teth Valley, which is just not something that, that happens a lot. How for real is Tennessee right now? And like they're playing Alabama this weekend. It's in Knoxville. It's going to be the biggest game in Knoxville, maybe since 1998. 
People are starting to really jump on the bandwagon now. We both thought they would lose at LSU for no reason other than gut feeling. We were totally wrong. Where's this thing going? When's it going to end? When When is this Tennessee flying through the air like a 747 offensively? When, when is it going to come down to altitude here? Oof. I mean, I want to say Saturday. But... Uh... We'll talk about this game. I don't know if it's going to end on Saturday. Um, this has been in, uh, in too much fun to watch. And yeah, we picked LSU for no reason other than we maybe we like the school colors. We like Tigers. Um, I don't really know why I did. It seems like a lapse in judgment for sure. But Tennessee's rolling at such a rate that even with Alabama coming in a couple of days and knowing that they cannot beat Alabama and haven't since like we were in college, uh, I don't know when it's going to end. It's going to end eventually. I mean, it's going to, everything ends. We all die, you know, uh, life ends eventually. But I don't know if I can stand here and we'll talk about the game and just say automatically it's going to end on Saturday because it shows no sign of stopping. Um, so that's pretty incredible. Hey, also, look, like, um, I think the Josh Hallickville reclamation, rejuvenation, reputation, rebuilding run has been really nice and not really talked about nationally. I mean, he was poo-pooed two years ago when they hired him. Um, as like, oh, they got option number 12 on Danny White's list. Um, but he's been so good um, that it's really rewritten his career and it's turned him into one of the top, I guess he's young, one of the top young coaches in the country. So I think that's cool, Dan. We'll talk on next week about Alabama, but I think that's pretty cool where they are right now. Yeah, he's uh, 44. So definitely that's young. young in terms of the coaching ranks. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because – we all remember him getting run out of Oklahoma in 2014 and, you know, kind of looked like his career was on the downward trajectory. He ends up at, at Utah State working for, I believe yeah. it was for Matt Wells a, at the time, and kind of gets that thing, you know, going a little bit offensively. He ends up getting hired at Missouri uh, by, by Barry Odom. And what was it? Was it Drew Locke that he coached and yeah. put up a bunch of yards at Missouri? Mm-hmm. And then uh, that gets him the UCF job. And actually, that was the more surprising one. Like, like I remember when UCF was making that hire, and and they pulled Josh Heupel kind of out of nowhere. Like, I remember talking to a bunch of people trying to figure out who UCF was going to get, who they were hiring, because Scott Frost. You know, was was the guy that, uh, uh, you know, was the the hot. You know, they're, they're trying to keep it going and trying to figure out how they're going to replace Scott Frost. And like nobody had mentioned Josh Heupel, and and Danny White, you know, the AD down at UCF at the time, pulls him pulls him out of there, and it was just like, whoa, where'd that come from? You know, and then he, he goes out and goes thirteen or twelve and zero in twenty eighteen, and back to the uh, Fiesta Bowl and and. You know, amazing debut. Then, you know, then the next year they fell off. Like they definitely fell off in 2019, his second year. Yeah. And then they really fell off in 2020. Like it's just a fact, right? He got worse every year at UCF. And I, so I looked at it as kind of um, Surprising in a way that Tennessee hired him because I, I, I just heard some some negative stuff about, 
kind of where the culture was going at UCF and and stuff within the program that was a little bit messy under his under his watch and and that maybe explained why the results were getting worse. So I was surprised. But obviously he's had a a terrific and impactful start at Tennessee, 7 and 6 last year, which was better than anyone thought they were going to be and then now 5 and 0 oh, flying high. You've got Hendon Hooker playing such good football. People are talking about him as a potential Heisman Trophy winner. I don't know. Like, again, long-term, I, I don't know what, what it will look like. I don't know if we're going to see the same trend that we saw at UCF kind of happen, repeat itself at Tennessee, right? I don't know. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But they're excited right now, and they have every right to be excited because that, that thing's been down for, for a very long time. You know, my, my – um, my issues with the Tennessee fan base are, are, are fairly, uh, fairly well documented. Um, but um, <laughs> well, they've they've been unfairly documented too. Um, but yeah, like it's just interesting. It's interesting to see a team playing this confidently, despite the fact that you know they at least until now have not had the results to sort of back them up, but they, they go out and play like they should, like they believe they should win every game. And that's, I think, very yeah. important. They, they, they're very confident in what they're doing. A lot of swagger, Dan. They got a lot of swagger. All right. So uh, let's move on. You got number nine, Ole Miss, 10 Penn State, 11 Oregon, up seven spots to number 12, your six and oh, UCLA Bruins. I will admit, I thought Chip Kelly was cooked. I thought, not that the game had passed him by, but but just, you know, the the recruiting thing was was not really working out for him. I mean, you look at the the rankings of his classes at UCLA. You're you're not you're not seeing a lot there that gets you excited. You know, year one, three and nine. Year two, four and eight. The COVID year, they're three and four. They finally get start to get it together last year, eight and four. And then this year, like they're just so much fun and they don't stop coming at you. That game against Utah on Saturday, I, I just kept waiting for, for UCLA to kind of stop scoring, to let Utah take control of that thing. And Utah physically was going to start imposing their will in the third quarter, the fourth quarter. And it just never happened. And they end up winning by 10. Really, it wasn't even that close because DTR threw a pick six kind of like the last minute of the game when, when everything was kind of already decided. But, um, I mean, Utah's a good team, good defensive team, 502 yards of offense. You know, DTR's been around a long time. He's playing great football, 18 of 23 passing, four touchdowns, the one interception. We, You know, Zach Charbonnet, the Michigan transfer, Again, another guy who's played a lot of college football. He's putting up crazy numbers. I mean, right now with USC and UCLA both undefeated, this is starting to get kind of exciting in an area of the country we've kind of been able to just ignore the last few years. Yeah, um, that's awesome. I think the top three in the Pac-12 are all pretty good. Truthfully, Dan, I put USC last in that threesome. I'd have Oregon one, UCLA two, USC last. Um, 
I think UCLA, I mean, they're both unbeaten. UCLA has played better teams. They've looked better. So and that's just a coach. That's a that's a whole nitpick, not a big deal. But it is good to see uh, those two LA, those two future Big Ten members doing so well uh, simultaneously. And obviously, we don't talk about Oregon anymore because of the Georgia game, but they're rolling as well. So that top 30% of the, or hold on, that's not the right math. The top 25% of the Pac-12, really good. Three really good teams. I've enjoyed watching all three of them. We do not need to attempt math on this podcast. That's the second week in a row where a simple math math problem has thrown me just completely for a loop. Uh, it's not good. Not good. I'm not smart. Um, but those are three good teams. I enjoy watching UCLA. You mentioned how well they've run the ball against the Utah. Their, their physical style um, and their ability to be like – strong and tough in the box is not something that we've seen, not just in Kelly's tenure, but from UCLA in a long time. So um, it's a cool thing to watch and and a team, two or three teams to watch nationally um, in the second half of the year, because if one of them goes 12 and 0, 13 and 0, they're in the playoff, uh, bar none. Number 13 is NC State. They won a game against Florida State that uh, let's just be honest, the Seminoles kind of blew at the end, which they've had a habit of doing. 14 is Wake Forest. Let's talk about number 15, TCU. They go into Kansas. They win it 38-31. They are 5-0 in the first year under Sonny Dykes. It's working out from a TCU standpoint. Like, a year ago, they fired Gary Patterson, which was a pretty big earthquake in terms of He's got a statue out in front of the stadium. You just don't see schools fire guys with statues. And yet, I think they're kind of justifying why that change needed to be made because clearly they had a lot of offensive talent and they are absolutely maximizing it right now in that Sonny Dyke system. He is just one of those guys who, wherever he goes, his stuff works. Yeah. Um, the program definitely needed a reboot. We talked about it at the time, but I do want to give Patterson some credit, like, and also kind of rag on him a bit. There's obvious talent on this roster. Um, Sonny Dykes is not doing this. It's not like he took SMU with him into the Big 12 and is 5-0. and Like, there's talent on the roster, which at once is a, is a testament to Patterson's ability to recruit in that state and find guys who fit and an indictment of the way that they went off the rails near the end of his tenure. I'm surprised that they're unbeaten. I'm not surprised that they're this good on offense, at least, because the track record for Sonny Dyke speaks for itself. I mean, you put him in anywhere, and he's going to get an offense going. So not anyone is – no one's really talking about him. I don't think they deserve to be talked about in the elite conversation, but it is a good story. Um, But it's going to end soon. I mean, they're not going to win 10 games. I think they end up like at 8-4 and or something like that. Really? Wow. See, I think the Big 12 – I do, and that's no disrespect – yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I just think that they're going to lose. They're going to lose to the better teams in this conference, who they haven't played yet. I don't. I don't count Oklahoma in that group. So I do think they lose those games. But um, and, and I think this is what you're going to say: the Big Twelve has a bunch of teams. Yeah. That are going to be in that eight win range, and and I, and I don't think that they're all eight win teams. I'm using air quotes. It's just the nature of that conference is going to dock some. It's going to knock some teams that could have won eight or could have won nine or ten down to eight, because there are one, oh, Texas, uh, Oklahoma State, Kansas State, Kansas, yeah. TCU, 
at least five teams that can beat you on any. You didn't even game. mention Baylor. I just included. Didn't even mention Baylor. I, I I got stuck on Kansas, and I was like, "Wow, did I really just say Kansas?" Um, but yeah, there are a bunch of teams in that league that are that are very good, not great, but very good. Yeah, you mentioned one of them is number sixteen, Kansas State. They're five and one. Number seventeen, Mississippi State. They crushed Arkansas, forty to seventeen. First time we've kind of had a little bit of a hiccup, really, in the the Sam Pittman era at Arkansas. But but Mike Leach has um, got a squad that is uh, really playing well, you know. And 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 Will Rogers um, just set a record. What what record did he set? Most completions ever. Career, in the career touchdowns or career, career completions? That's right. He's up to like nine something. Yeah. Right, I think he's in, he's in a really high amount. Arkansas season, Dan has has really gone to pot, and the turning point was fourteen nothing against A yeah. and M, yeah. uh, and and uh, Jefferson leaping for a for a for a score, and with that fumble. Since then, it's been a disaster. So yeah, first hiccup for him based on expectations. I like to see how they rebound second half. All right, number eighteen is Syracuse. Uh, Utah falls to nineteen from eleven. Kansas suffers their first loss, falls from 17 to 20. Cincinnati is back into the rankings at 21. They are 5-1. and one. I don't really understand why Kentucky is still ranked. Uh, they're number 22, falling nine spots. They just lost to South Carolina, and it was not very pretty. No. Um, do you do you know why they're still ranked? I mean, I guess you have to have twenty five teams, but I, I don't really see a good case for Kentucky at this point. I don't see it at all. I would have. There are a bunch of teams. I'm just looking at receiving votes right now. Illinois, JMU, Coastal, even Tulane. I'd put over those. Tulane beat Kansas State. They're five and one. There are a lot of yeah. other options other than Kentucky. Let's get them out of there, please. Yeah. By the way, Tulane. I mean, they could end up having sort of a what if season because right now their only loss is kind of a head-scratcher against Southern Miss at home. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, they've had an awesome season. Like right now in the AAC, I I trust them. I trust them as much as anybody. Yeah, they're definitely one of the top four. I mean, that's like selling them short in that conference, and they could even be number one. I'm I'm interested in seeing um, like how they finish their conference schedule second half, but since that Southern Miss game, they've been – They've been really, really good. And, like, it's a stretch to call them a top 25 team. But I do think the resume is better than Kentucky's at 5-1. and one. So just another option for our voters who we know all listen to this podcast. Who, who is, like, the favorite right now to get that group of five bowl spot? I, I don't I don't really know. Like, is it James Madison? Like, well, it can't James be JMU, Madison, right, because they can't. They can't do it. They're not eligible. They're not eligible. So by default, it's still Cincinnati. It's the American champ, right? We're just going to say it's the American champ because... It's not going to be anyone from the Mountain West. Unless San Jose State is as good as they've looked. But that's... They already got a loss. I mean, that's a real stretch. Yeah, it's going to be the American champ unless we're airballing someone from Conference USA. There's no one in the MAC. And App State has has cratered in the Sun Belt. So, yeah, just watch for Cincinnati. Tulane's one of those teams, you know? So two lanes in the mix to get to a New Year's Six, definitely at this point. All right, number 23 is Baylor. Number 24 is Texas. we got to talk about Red River. That was ugly. That was um, – I don't know what to say other than Oklahoma's in, in some real trouble here. I mean, 49 nothing, the worst loss 
for Oklahoma ever in the Red River Series. It is not going well for Brent Venables. Um, I, a couple just quick observations from that game. Like, one, Quinn Ewers is is legit. Like, he is he's the real deal. I think Texas could very rightly argue that if he doesn't get hurt, they're 6-0. and Now, you can't necessarily – you know, go back and, and say that for sure because, you know, let's let's say they win the Alabama game, you know, maybe they fall off somewhere else. Like there's always these – the pendulum's always swinging. But they are certainly really, really good with Quinn Ewers. And um, there have been times in my, you know, 20-plus years of, of closely watching college football where Texas has won – the Oklahoma game, but there have not been many times where you have watched that game and just come out of it saying Texas is just a way better football program than Oklahoma. In fact, I'm not sure you've ever really been able to say that. And yet right now you can't not say that because they are. Yeah. It's impossible to deny that at this point on October, whatever 10th or 11th today is 2022, Texas is in a way better place than Oklahoma. And that's amazing considering where they were a couple weeks ago, let alone, you know, or even a year ago. So uh, quick on Quinn Ewers, he's in control. You know what I mean? He, he, he He's like in command. And that, that popped off the screen to me against OU. So that was my first chance really getting an opportunity to delve into him. And I was, yeah, like you, very impressed. Um, what's the fix for Oklahoma? We know Texas is improving. I don't think they're a, a you know, necessarily a top 15 team right now, but they're getting better. What's the fix for OU? And is there one? Or is this a 5-7 and seven team? And lastly, if they're a 5-7 team, what the hell? Like, what does that do for Venables? What does that do for the program? A lot of questions, Dan. What, what are the answers to these questions? Well, let's just start with the fact they're 3-3. Three and three. They've still got to play Kansas. They have to go to Iowa State. They've got Baylor at home. They've got to go to West Virginia. They get Bedlam at home, and then they got to go to Texas Tech. I would say, like, they only have maybe one more sure win on this schedule, which is West Virginia. Other than that, like, they're all coin flips at best. That starts to get pretty scary, right? When you're talking about a program that's never been bad in this century. Never been bad. They've had a couple years where they were just okay. You know, Stoops had a couple eight and fives. But they have never been outright bad. They're outright bad. So I think there will have to be an immediate staff shakeup, reshuffling, something to acknowledge that this is not acceptable. They need to go out and recruit, they need to hit the portal. They, I, I, I don't know. Like, it, I didn't see this coming. I really didn't. I, I didn't think they'd win the Big 12. I didn't pick them to win the Big 12. I didn't have them rated as highly as most voters did in the preseason. But I, I did not see this sort of non-competitiveness against teams like TCU and Texas. It's scary. It's jarring. You have to at least acknowledge the possibility that Joe Castiglione made a mistake in hiring Brent Venables. I'm not quite ready to go there because I don't think we've seen enough, but 
That's not what you want to be talking about six games in. No, and you don't want to be in a position where you're six and six and you're in Shreveport for Christmas as the head coach, the first year head coach at Oklahoma. No offense to Shreveport, um, but that's not what you want, and that concerns me. Uh, Venables waited his time. He could have taken a number of different jobs or at least put his name really into the ring for a lot of different jobs. He waited. He got the job he wanted. Um, it would be disappointing for him to see it you know, disintegrate in his hands, but through six games, and it's not a year, but it's enough to look at the direction of this team and of this program right now is bad, 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 bad. And that's uh, good news for the rest of the Big 12, bad news for OU, and uh, like I had before, there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions in the second half they got to address before going into the winter. Well, the other thing is they're maybe a couple years away from going into the SEC. And the, the problem here is you risk, if you don't get this thing turned around fast, in you know if it's 2024 or 2025 or whenever it is that, that they actually make the move, you're going in with a team that's just going to get crushed week after week. At which point, like, you sort of risk becoming the next Nebraska, which seems drastic. Like, I know that it doesn't seem like it's even possible because Oklahoma's been so good, but I don't think it's that far-fetched that if you don't manage this right, if you don't play the cards right, this could be like a decade-long disaster. Yeah. That's, scary. It's scary. That's sobering. Oh, that's sobering and scary for sure. But the all roads lead or all conversations lead to the for, to the final part point, which is they need to get it in gear fast, like today, because there is a trickle down effect and things could snowball. And then the final team in the uh, top twenty five this week is North Carolina, and um, <laughs> it's uh, it's it's kind of remarkable that they're five and one right now because you have we we've watched them play some of these games and it, it just kind of seems like it kind of seems like they are um doing it by the you know the seat of their pants like they barely you know win a crazy game against app state back back to the beginning of september they you know have to they have to go to Georgia State, and it's a seven-point game where they they were tied going into the fourth quarter. Uh, they lose at home to Notre Dame, you know, and then they they get right against Virginia Tech. Everybody's beating Virginia Tech these days, and then you know they play this game against Miami. It's twenty-seven twenty-four. You know, it's like they had control of it, and then and then they didn't, and then they had to hold on. Like the funny thing is, like North Carolina could end up being like not like 10 and two. And I still will not know if they're good or not. No, they are barely landing the plane on a weekly basis. And it's kind of fun to watch, like to not, obviously no one's invested, but to not care because they're, we know they're not going to be a, a championship factor just to watch them go through these headwinds and get the wheels on the ground has been kind of fun to watch Miami as the example like everyone turned that game off with X time left in the fourth quarter, and then they're like, "Oh my God, what 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 channel is ACC Network? I got to get back to this." They're fun to watch in the best way possible. They're unpredictable. Things are going to get wild. They're like Maction as a team in the ACC. So I get a lot of joy out of watching them. They're not special. They're not great. But I, I, one thing I will say, Dan, like 
10 and 2 this year is going to feel flimsy. It's not going to feel great. They're going to win the coastal very likely barring if unless they poop themselves. But if you had trans like taken that 10 and 2 mark and moved it to last season, um, it would feel a lot different, right? Because we're like a year removed from saying UNC is the next one of the next big things in the ACC, maybe the Power Five. Um, so there is a little bit of like a uh, one year later thing for NC, but 10 and 2, no matter how you cut it, would be a great step forward for them, even though we don't really think that they're necessarily a special team. Yeah, and then just one game I wanted to mention that does not involve any of the top 25 was uh, Notre Dame going out to Vegas and beating BYU. It seems like uh, they've kind of stabilized things at, at Notre Dame a little bit. That was a pretty good, solid win. Yeah, that was another game control win. I give a lot of credit to Tommy Reese. Like, it wasn't that long ago when he was screaming into the phone, like my mom in 1996, to come home at Drew Pine on the sideline. Um Andrew Pine has really played better. He was very, very good against BYU. I, I'd be interested in what Notre Dame fans think. I thought that was the best game I've seen him play. So what were you doing in 1996? Freeman for, I want to know what you were I'm doing sure in 1996, as a 13-year-old, I was probably causing all kinds of trouble. And back when there were four cell phones, if my mom did get me on the phone, it was it was uh, to come back home. So that's what I – when I saw that picture, I had a flashback to uh, being at – someone's house and my mom screaming at me through the through the phone to get on my bike and come home did you ever get lost as a kid it, by the way too nefarious oh yeah yeah okay. i got lost i've got a great getting not a great getting lost story but yeah i definitely took the wrong bus as a kid and ended up in in strange places all that stuff i was a i was as dumb as a kid as i am as an adult no question about it dumber actually i was dumber did, as a kid how did you find your way home if you got on the wrong bus um, I think eventually I was like, I don't really have a strong grasp on time as a mm. eight year old time. I'm like a dog, you know, like an hour could be an hour. It could also be five minutes. It could be five hours. But at some point being on that bus, I remember thinking I've been on this bus a lot longer than I have. I should have been, uh, I don't recognize these sites, these people. I should go talk to the bus driver about maybe getting me back home. This was a school bus as well. I wasn't taking a Greyhound bus or a Peter Pan or anything like that. It was a school bus. So I was fairly safe. But that's probably my best getting lost story. Um, it's not a great one, honestly, yeah. as I say it out loud. But my mom remembers it very well. She thought probably I was kidnapped or something. All right, let's uh, get into the games this weekend. This is a massive week. Just massive. Noon window. Fox. Big noon Saturday game, Penn State at Michigan. The first real test for Michigan. Penn State's 5-0. and They're playing great, especially on defense. I think their defense has really been the story of their season. Uh, what do we think, man? This is, this is one of those games where we're going to find out, I think, more about both teams in this one game than we have all season long. Michigan's a seven-point favorite. You know, in the big house, I think I kind of got a lean Michigan. Uh, but it's a nice rebound year for Penn State, and I, I don't discount the possibility that they go in there and pull the upset. Yeah, I give them a better chance against Michigan than against Ohio State um, I, for, a, for a number of reasons. I do think Michigan wins the game, but Penn State's pathway to victory I don't think is too complex. Um, you've got to make things a little bit harder on J.J. McCarthy. 
but you also have to find explosive plays on offense, which they've had at times um, in the running game. Um, so, you know, Penn State's good enough to win this game. I just don't know how you would pick against Michigan in a close, low-scoring game, which I think is both teams' kind of comfort zone. Play it close, play it tight, try to win in the fourth quarter. So I expect this maybe 24-17, 27-20, something like that, a Michigan win. You've got Auburn at Ole Miss over the years. That's been a game that's kind of crazy sometimes. Like just you get wild stuff going on. Ole Miss is a two-touchdown favorite. I think this I think this will be it for Brian Hartson, don't you? That this is kind of the one where they pull the plug. I was going to ask this before. When's this going to end? Like what are they yeah. waiting for? Um, I have could no this idea. be it? Uh, you you tell me. What do you think? I, I have no like information. I'm going to say no. You think they're just going to keep it going? I say just roll with it. Just keep going. Um, just keep surprising people. Call random press conferences like with big fanfare for a Sunday morning at 11 and talk about how you're going to uh, – you're giving your tennis coach a one-year extension. I say lean into it if you're Auburn. Do they even have an AD? Do they have an AD yet? They do not have a full-time replacement. Have they hired somebody? They have not. Yeah, so that to me, that, that seems to me like a uh, like a uh, impediment to a coaching search. So I'm going to say Harson still employed Sunday morning when he comes in to work. Okay. Also at noon, you've got Kansas at Oklahoma. For some reason, Oklahoma is a seven and a half point favorite. Don't quite understand that. I would not touch Oklahoma right now. I, I mean, I don't know. Like, I guess Kansas is going to win, but I don't know. I mean, Oklahoma is going to have to show me a whole it's lot still more hard. I've seen so far. Yeah, definitely. It's hard for me as a person entrenched in their ways to pick Kansas. It's just hard. It's it just is hard, hard to do. But so I'm going to pick Oklahoma. It's just hard for me to do. It's just hard. All right, you've got Iowa State going to Texas. Texas, sixteen and a half point favorite. I think I would lean Iowa State in terms of the number, but Texas is going to win that game. Yes. Um, Minnesota. Yeah, Iowa at, State. It seems like it's going to be hard for them to lose. I'm sorry. It just seems like it'd be hard for Iowa State to lose by 16 and a half points. They don't even give up 16 and a half points per game. Not very often. So they'll hang tight. Minnesota at Illinois. Illinois is uh, five and one. Great job by Brett Bielema. Minnesota was kind of the hot team a couple weeks ago, and then had that loss to Purdue, kind of out of nowhere. I think Purdue's pretty good though. Like I'm not going to totally dump my Minnesota stock. Uh, yet, uh, but in terms of uh, who's going to win that division, like this is a massive game, massive, huge. Yeah, I like Minnesota in this game. I think Minnesota is, is a better team than Illinois. Illinois is really nice, nice progress under Bielema year two. But I'm taking the Gophers to win this game and eventually win the division. Um, but yeah, Purdue that loss a couple weeks back made it a lot more complicated. But uh, don't. Look over Purdue either. I mean, they could they could win the division, but I think Minnesota gets it back in gear starting Saturday. All right, for three thirty, I hope that you have multiple television screens, or you're going to a sports bar or somewhere you can keep an eye on several games at once. I don't think one of them is going to be Georgia Vandy uh, in Athens. I think Georgia's probably. Um, well, I'll tell you what. I, I will give Kirby Smart credit for this. Uh, that game we we mentioned last week against Auburn. It was a a thirty point. Uh, line and we're like boy that seems like an awful lot for a georgia auburn game and it turns out like at the end of it georgia had to step on the gas to get that last touchdown 
very good job by Kirby mm-hmm. Smart because Kirby understands one of the fundamental truths of college football coaching is that the boosters all bet. They all bet. And you got to keep them happy. <laughs> when you have a chance to cover That's interesting. for your boosters, you better do it, buddy. You better get that extra touchdown because you do not want boosters pissed off that they just lost money gambling because you didn't go for the kill against Auburn. Yeah. So 38 against Vandy, are they going to cover that? Like, I kind of yeah, think, I think they, they, will. they will cover that. Yeah, they will cover that. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Don't watch that uh, game. All right. The big yeah. one on CBS. Watch, watch the other games. <laughs> the big one on CBS, Alabama, Tennessee. In Neyland, I, I guess the only thing we really can talk about here is, is Bryce Young going to play? And if he does play, how healthy is he going to be? If that shoulder is a problem still, then the path for Tennessee is very obvious. If Bryce Young is back and is Bryce Young, then I think I would lean Alabama. But the other aspect of this is, Right now, Alabama is like a touchdown favorite in Neyland, and it just feels like everyone is going to be on Tennessee to cover that, which is probably mm-hmm. the time you need to be on Alabama from a gambling perspective. Yeah, I, I if Bryce Young plays, I am absolutely taking Alabama. And, and my thought, just based off conjecture and nothing except for what I'm sensing, is maybe he could have gone last week. Maybe that was a choice that they made, that they didn't force him in next week, thinking that they would be able to get it done with Milrow. And they, they did, barely. Um, so maybe Young is closer to 100% than we realize. If that's the case, then yeah, I'm taking Alabama. Um, I don't think it's going to be 42-17 like we've seen so many other times in the recent past, but I do think that they're going to win if Bryce Young is there. But, and I'm sure you agree, if it's Hendon Hooker against Milrow, as good as the kid is and as, as athletic as he is and what dimension he brings to that offense, uh you got to take the balls. You got to take the balls if it's Hooker versus Milrow because that gap in quarterback play and what you've seen from Alabama's offense without Young is so profound that it's just the safer pick. Um, that would be insane if Alabama lost to Tennessee, but I do think it's a possibility. They're going to need Will Anderson to have a big game and to really get after Hendon Hooker. They're going to need him to intimidate a little bit, I think, uh, and, and cause some havoc and maybe try to get a turnover too. It is amazing that as long as Nick Saban has been at Alabama, he's 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 not lost this game. Yeah. And how many times has it even come close? Just the Terrence Cody field goal block, unless I'm airballing a game. I think it hasn't there was even one really other one. I think there was one other one that was – there was one other one that was really competitive. I'm going to look it up here. Um, so Tennessee's last win was, was 2006, 16-13. Uh, so there was the the twelve ten game in 9 There was mm-hmm. nineteen to fourteen in twenty fifteen in Tuscaloosa. So that was don't the even other remember game that game. It was pretty close. I don't remember okay. the details. So would have been Jalen Hurts. I just don't. I don't remember. Would have been Hurts. Who cares? Probably Jacob Cooper. Um, but uh, yeah, this one has got the makings of a classic. Um, in, just in terms of having both teams be in the top seven, eight, like we see. It's just it's just very cool. It's cool for college football, um, but I do suspect if everyone's at full capacity, Alabama's going to continue this winning streak. 
All right, also at 3.30, you've got Oklahoma State at TCU. TCU, three-and-a-half-point favorite, I think, uh, for Oklahoma State. This is the first time we are really going to – well, I mean, it's not true. I mean, they went on the road and beat Baylor. Like, that was a great win. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I don't know that the TCU is, is a tougher place to play. I, I, I think it's probably about the same. Can they do it again? Can they keep this thing going? I mean, this is a crazy stretch for Oklahoma State because in a row now they've got at TCU, Texas at home, at Kansas State, at Kansas. I mean, this is the gauntlet right now. Yeah. So we're going to know a lot about this group. Um, Oklahoma State, uh, when they have played their best football, and Baylor is one of those games and non-conference is another, um, they look – not unstoppable, but they look like the class of the conference. I'm banking on them, um, specifically banking on Sensor Sanders bouncing back after a rough week, the defense bouncing back after a rough week, and, and securing a really solid win. I think this is the win, if they get it, that might put them a little bit more on the national map. We're not really talking about them at all as a team that's in contention for this, but um, if they're able to lock down TCU to a degree enough where they can win by 12 or 14, which I think is doable, um, we'll be talking about them a lot more. But, yeah, four weeks from now is when we'll really know if Oklahoma State at 10-0 and or, or 9-1, and we can take them really, really seriously. Also at 330, couple-ranked teams, NC State at Syracuse. Syracuse is favored slightly in the game. Devin Leary, um, probably not looking great for him. He, he suffered an injury last week. If that's the case, Syracuse has got a great shot. Uh, also, Arkansas at BYU. Both teams have kind of fallen out of the discussion, but good for Arkansas for taking that series and going out on the road to Provo. That's uh, relatively cool and unique. Fast forward to 7.30. You've got the ABC game, Clemson. Clemson's on the ABC night game a bunch this year, I guess. Uh, Clemson at yeah, Florida State. they really are. Uh, Florida State, the the – you know, it's it's one of those things. Like if you had said beginning of the year, Florida State was going to come into this game four and two, I think you'd probably be pretty happy with that. It would seem like a reasonable outcome. It, it feels a little bit disappointing because they they kind of no showed against uh, Wake, and then they just blew it. They just straight up blew it against um, NC State. But that does kind of make me a little bit more interested in the game because I do think. It's a game that Clemson could could overlook a little bit, and it's maybe sort of a desperation spot for for FSU. I actually think it's going to be a pretty competitive game. Yeah, I, I was shocked by this so much that I wanted to double check it. Clemson minus three and a half. Yeah, um, I understand Tallahassee at night. We've covered games in Tallahassee at night, specifically Clemson games, and those things tend to get pretty wild. Um, but I don't really know what that says. I mean, I'm really surprised by that. And we've said to each other many, many times, I always trust Vegas over anyone else when it comes to these games. And I expect it to be close almost if only for that. Um, Florida State opportunity last week to make this game really mean something against Clemson. So that feels like a wasted opportunity. But it's easy to imagine what this would mean for Norvell and for the program if they could knock off Clemson of all teams. I just think it would be like a shout from the rooftops moment for FSU. So it should be close. I mean, what does Vegas know that we don't? They obviously suspect something that this game is going to hang around tight for four quarters. What do you think uh, hotel rooms are going for in Tallahassee on Saturday night? 
there's no even there's there's no reason to even check. Get your ass to Valdosta and get in one of those rooms and just make the drive. Um, that's all you got to do. Or go to uh, dang, what are the names of those other? What are those Cor- other? You've got Tifton, in, in... Tifton, Cordell, or Cordell in uh, George, yes. South Georgia. Yeah, I, right. That's yeah, the so problem. Is there's nothing really around? There's nothing around Tallahassee. So if you're going for a game, it's I just. I always like was just a f- personally offended. Like you're talking about, I'm just looking at it right now. Four hundred and ninety dollars for the four points by Sheraton in Tallahassee Saturday Oof. night. <laughs> Where's that courtyard? What is that courtyard going to cost you? On, on, is it even have? They don't even Actually, have there's no there's no availability. No availability. Bucks. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it feels stupid when you would when we used to go to Tallahassee on like a Tuesday, and you'd be like, I got to pay three seventy nine for the courtyard by the state house. And you're like, you know, so anyway, it's good that they have people going back to Tallahassee to watch this game. Good for that. Make some money, local businesses. Also at seven 30, uh, Mississippi state at Kentucky until proven. Otherwise I'll just roll with Mississippi state. Um, Stanford, Notre Dame, usually a game we pay attention to Stanford absolutely sucks right now. Mm. That's a whole other conversation. I, I actually don't want to talk about Stanford because I don't think anybody cares. USC at Utah. USC putting that undefeated record on the line in Salt Lake City. Utah coming off the stinging defeat against UCLA. This one will be worth watching at 8 p.m. on Fox. Yeah, um, definitely worth watching. I think this winning streak ends. You think this is the comeuppance? I think yeah. Utah. Yeah, I think Utah – Backs to the wall at home against the fancy boy USC program that you know they love to play. I think they take out some aggression. On, fancy uh, boy, these boys. On. That's not my not my words. I'm just trying to put myself into Utah as a football program shoes. What they think of SC, and I believe they've always looked at SC as, uh, you know, rightfully so, as the big brother uh, flag bearer for the conference. They feel like interlopers, and they always take some joy out of playing SC. I believe. Off the top of my head, the first Pac-12 game that Utah ever played was a win against SC. Off the top of my head. Excuse I me while I look this up. cannot believe you Still would time. remember that. I don't believe you would remember that. Like, that, that is a long time ago. It's like a decade ago. Yeah, and that's just, that's just a random pull. Just a random pull. That's no idea. 2011, Utah Utes. Their first Pac-12 game was, it was against USC. They lost 23-14. Damn. Okay, but the point you still had, stands yeah. that they played SC in their first game. I bet you they beat them next year. Give me a second. It's, a, it's actually somewhat impressive next that, year, that you even remember that. USC, they lost the next season too. Uh, yeah. Got a lot of stupid stuff up here. It's just oh taken God. up so much space. I know so much useless stuff. Like, I know just so much useless stuff about sports. It's probably why like this morning I needed to find my car keys. I just couldn't. So I just didn't just didn't go to the car today because I just couldn't find my car keys. Just that's my world. All right. That's where we're going to end it for this week. Thank you everybody for listening to the college football fix. We drop new episodes every Tuesday discussing the latest news and poll results from around college football. Subscribe to the college football fix, wherever you listen and find uh, more of our content on usatoday.com and the USA Today Sports Plus app. Thank you today to Eric Smith, who is standing in for producer Emily to keep us in line. 
Thanks to Paul Meyerberg. I'm Dan Wolken. We'll talk to you guys same place, same time next week. The College Football Fix Podcast. 